Hello, everybody. My name is Stefan Satani, and I have a license to kill fish. I have a license to kill fish. I just got my fishing license. Hooray for me. And guess what? I'm recording this before my week-long fishing trip with my pops, with Papa Satani. So we're both going to go murder some fish, eat them, and then I'm going to come back fish-filled belly and ready to pod yet again. But while I'm out there, I wanted to make sure that you guys are entertained. So you have an episode with Mike Cannon. You also have this new episode with Maz Jabrani. I don't even know if I can encapsulate in an intro how awesome Maz is. He was a founding member of the Axis of Evil comedy tour that aired on Comedy Central. He also has four solo comedy specials. The last one, Immigrant on Netflix. And he's coming to town. He's going to be in Tempe November 12th through the 14th. So I had a great chat with Moz. We talked about his journey in comedy, what he's learned. He was a regular at the comedy store. And he tells me what Mitzi Shore, the founder, wanted him to wear as a regular, which was very interesting. We also talk about the placements he had as he was a regular. He didn't start out in those sweet prime spots. He was the opener. Or he had to follow some really great acts like Andrew Dice Clay. So we talk about that, and then we incorporate his learnings and the specials that I saw. It was a really fun time. And then at the very end, some advice. So I've got links in the show notes for you to see his special if you want to, if you want to go see him live in Tempe, or if you want to listen to his podcast, Back to School with Maz Jabrani, for all you intellectuals out there listening to this podcast. It's all there. Follow him, DM him, support him. And let him know that you you had a great time listening to him. That would be awesome. And then also support me. Don't forget about little old Steph. If you want to follow me on Instagram, send me a DM. Say, hey, great episode. I love what you're doing, buddy. Was that Bill Burr? I don't know. But that doesn't matter. Leave a review. Subscribe. Tell a friend. And there's links to my Patreon page if you want to support me financially. Be my sugar parent, if you will. Yeah. Oh, are you intrigued to see what I'll do for the different tiers for just $2 a month? Head on over there and see. Check it out. Well, I think I've talked enough for this intro, so we have episode liftoff. A comedy advice podcast. An advice podcast for death and, and friends. To make exaggerated statements not meant to be taken literally. What was that, Stefan? A uh, comedy advice podcast. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, Moz. How are you? Good. Sorry about that. Let me put my earbuds in. I'm sorry. I, I, um, we have a new puppy, and it, and it, and she's got me running around, so I forget things sometimes. <laughs> oh, no worries. All good. Oh, I like nice. it. You got a banana, huh? Banana, banana suit. Yes, yes. Dr- getting in the Halloween spirit too. You know, I got a story for you real quickly on that. Let me let me just set this up real quickly, and then I'll tell you the story about the banana suit. <laughs> Let's see if this is a good spot to do this. Beautiful. I love I'm getting a tour or two of the house. It looks gorgeous, by the way. Right. Look at the house. We got a house here. We got the... So the banana suit you wear is interesting because um, at the comedy store, they actually just talked about this on the the uh, Showtime documentary series about the comedy store. But there was a guy back in the day who, I guess at the comedy store, Mitzi Shore, who's the founder of the comedy store, 
was notorious for telling people what to wear, helping them create their character. So supposedly she helped Roseanne shop for her clothing, huh. to, for her persona. Uh-huh. You know, um, there was others who found their persona at the comedy store. Andrew Dice Clay became Andrew Dice Clay at the comedy store, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, there was a guy uh, named Jackie Bananas. And supposedly <laughs> the way he became, yeah, the way he became Jackie Bananas was, I forget his real name, but he, I guess, I guess part of his act was he would dress up in a banana suit. And so Mitzi saw him one day doing it, you know, it was a, a, whatever, a 15 minute act. It was supposedly a couple minutes of the act. And she said, uh, she goes, you should be, you should be the banana. You should wear the banana suit the whole time. And she said, you should be Jackie Bananas. The guy became Jackie Bananas. And then I think he never, we never heard of him again. It kind of disappeared. Oh man. I, well, actually I didn't dress up just as a banana. I was Jackie Bananas. So I'm glad you got the reference. And two, yes. I, th- I thought you were going to say Gallagher and he was smashing bananas and Mitzi was like, no, 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 try watermelons. And that's uh-huh. what made him beg. <laughs> yeah. It goes the other way. You know, she's also told, I guess I've heard Mark Maron talk about this. She told Mark Maron he should wear a scarf because he's like a poet comedian or thinking man comedian. And she told me that I should wear a turban when I first started really yeah did you end up doing it or were you like "Mm, no it was a whole dilemma it was interesting because i love mitzi and mitzi really helped you know anybody who's at the comedy store your career took off because of the comedy store because you become a better comedian there and Mm -hmm. she also put us together the access of evil comedy tour was created by mitzi shore in 2000 wow um she mitzi was is was jewish and uh she had been watching the news and there was the latest uprising between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And she thought that, she goes, I think there's going to be a need for a positive voice for Muslims and Middle Easterners in the world. This is before 9-11. So she put us together wow. with me, Ahmed Ahmed, Aaron Cater, Sam Tripoli, and we created something called the Arabian Nights, or she created it. And mm-hmm. then eventually that became the Axis of Evil. But before all that, let's huh. say 1999, whenever I became a regular, yeah. The way you become a regular at the comedy store, you perform in front of Mitzi Shore. She sees you do three minutes, then you come back and do six and ten. <clears throat> when I did the ten, she's sitting in the back. You got to walk past her. She grabbed my arm as I'm walking past her. I think, oh my God, this is it. I'm going to be made a regular. This is my <laughs> dream come true. I lean in. She goes, You're very funny. I go, Thank you, Mitzi. She goes, I'm going to make you a regular. I go, Thank you, Mitzi. And I thought, This is it. <clears throat> and then she goes, Have you ever thought about wearing the outfit? And I go, outfit? She goes, you know, the hat and the gown. I go, hat and gown? And then I'm walking, and I go, I go, sure, yeah, yeah. And then I'm walking away. I go, oh, my God, she wants me to wear a turban and a distasha or distasha or a thobe. And I ended up thinking, okay, she's older now, and she's going to forget. Uh-huh. Well, the next day, I get a call from the booker. She goes, hey, I heard you became a regular. I go, yeah. She goes, and Mitzi told me you're going to wear the outfit. I was like, oh. So <laughs> it took me a couple weeks of negotiating with them to kind of convince them that I should not wear this outfit uh, because the booker kept telling me, she's like, Mitzi, if Mitzi has an idea for you, you should do it. Right. Um, right. And finally I said, listen, you know, being an Iranian American, um, if I wear a turban on stage, word could get back to the regime in Iran that there's somebody making fun of the clerics in America. And there'd been a guy who had been doing this on Persian television in America and some supporters of the regime had shown up and thrown rocks at him and blinded him in one eye. 
So I use that as an excuse to go, look, if it gets, if word gets back that I'm making fun of these guys, they could come, not only could they harm me, they might, you know, harm the club. And uh, quickly they were like, uh, forget the turban, just wear something comfortable. I was like, all right. <laughs> so, that's how I got out of the turban, man. I love that. I love how they were just like, you know what? No, from turban, go to something comfortable. You'll be good. Just something comfortable. Yeah. Oh, man. So that was 1999 when you became a regular at the comedy store? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I honestly forgot what date the actual date was. And somebody told me that recently they said that they found in some files that it must have been 1999. So it was either 99 or 2000. You would think I, I would know the exact date. <laughs> And I, and I think I, what I will do is I, I might ask them to look it up for me because it really was, you know, people always say, what's the moment for you, right? And, and I think yeah. in this career, I think this career is a series of moments. It, it's very rare that you're walking along the street and somebody comes over and goes, you, and then they put you in some movie and you become a superstar. Um, right. But the moment that really, I think, helped me as a comedian was becoming a regular at the comedy store because all of a sudden I went from doing what was considered amateur, you know, bars and coffee shops or whatever it was and doing what were bringer shows where a bunch of comedians would all bring some audience and you do a show. Mm -hmm. I went from that to going on stage following these professional comedians and I learned a lot. And, and when you become a regular at the comedy store, she doesn't give you the, you know, prime 10 p.m. spot on a weekend. Right. No, she gives you the 1 a.m. spot. She gives you the opening spot. Both are horrible, by the way, because the opening mm -hmm. spot's horrible because as you're performing, people are still coming in. So you do a couple jokes, someone starts walking in, you do another joke, someone's walking. So you just keep getting interrupted. And those later spots, that's where I was. And I grew as a comedian because I'd be at the club with guys like Joe Diaz and uh -huh. um, Brian Holtzman and mm -hmm. Andrew, you know, Andrew Dice Clay would bump you. You'd follow Andrew Dice Clay doing an hour of material about, you know, sucking ass. That literally was a joke he had. I swear to God, you don't even know, dude. There was one night he was up there going like, suck ass, suck ass, suck ass. I'm friends with Dice now, you know, but I'm sitting there watching this. And first of all, at that point, the comedy store was not as hot as it had be it's become recently, you know, before the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. So already it was a thin audience. So there's like, you know, dice goes up. Maybe there's like 20 people there on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And they're having fun because it's dice and he's doing mm -hmm. suck ass. And I'm sitting back, back in the back and going, huh, I'm going to go up following this and I'm going to go and talk about the Iraq war and how the Bush administration misled us into the war. Like I've, I, I want to make some statements. Right, right. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, how do I follow this? And they're loving him, by the way. And then there's like, then there's the thing of obviously when Dice is done, nobody knows who I am. So Dice is going to finish. And sometimes it, there's been times when like before all this happened, before I got to know Dice and these guys, like whether it was Dice or Eddie Griffin or, or Martin Lawrence or whoever, sometimes they'd be like, who's next? And then, you know, because we introduce each other. It's a tag team. Yeah. So... There's been times where the piano man, uh, Jeff Scott, will say, Maz Jobrani. And whoever's on stage, especially if there were these celebrities, they might go, oh, I've never heard of this guy. But uh, I guess he's funny because he's here. I don't know. Like, even the intro is like, you know. And so if Dice does it in front of 20, 30 people, by the time he's done, now it's one in the morning, half that crowd leaves. 
Now yeah. you got to go up and follow suck ass and go into your <laughs> jokes about politics. And I'll tell you what I learned. I learned actually following Joe Diaz one night because Joe Diaz is one of the great in the moment comedians, you know, right. um, Joey D. Um, everybody loves <laughs> Joe Diaz. And he would get up there and he would start telling some jokes mm-hmm. and then he would get distracted and go somewhere else and go somewhere else. And I used to ask Joey Diaz, I go, Joey, I go, do you have a set list? He goes, you know, bro, I'm on the way to the club. I got my, I got the set in my mind, but you know how it gets you get up on stage. You got to start calling audibles. So, you know, <laughs> football reference, right? You got to call audibles. Yeah, yeah. And so one night Joe Diaz just killed and it was probably a hot night. He killed. Yeah. And I went on stage and I didn't really reference his act. I just went into my act right. and I felt like I kind of died because, you know, the energy of the crowd is here with Joey Diaz doing some serious hardcore stuff. And now I'm up on stage. And by the way, when he walks off stage, it's almost like he's dropped a grenade. The place is blowing up. Everyone's talking this, that, the other. So rather than bringing them back and focusing them, I just went into my act, didn't do well. Lesson learned was if you're following somebody and they kill, you got to spend your first minute or two talking about some of the stuff they said, because Mm -hmm. That allows the room to know that you have been present and you've gone through the same experience they've gone through. So I learned that. So like, for example, following Andrew Dice Clay, when he was doing suck ass, suck ass for the last minute of his act, literally just repeating, suck ass, suck ass, suck ass. You know, or he would say hot soup. It didn't mean anything. He would just go hot soup, hot soup. (laughs) So now I'd go on stage following that. And before I get into my act, I just go on stage. I'd be like, hot soup, hot soup. And I'd be like, that's stuck in my head. And I'd be talking about, you know, talk about that and then go into my act. So it was lessons learned. And so that was the beauty of being at the comedy store was you really learned to, 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 to be a, be a stronger comedian and follow these amazing acts. That's really cool. And I feel like I just rewatched your Netflix special Immigrants and I was listening and paying attention to where you were asking the audience at first, hey, where are you guys from? We have immigrants here. Where, where are the white people? And then everyone else. And then you, ha- you called out Ed specifically and you kept bringing him back throughout the the show which was really cool because it's showing you're engaged it's almost like a conversation with you i don't know how ed felt but it was really (laughs) hilarious to see and show that you were in that moment you also had callbacks to as the things that you were talking about your cousin that was living with you that you're like i'd sell him out in a minute um yeah Yeah. he can get deported but it's really cool to hear about behind the scenes lessons and how you incorporated that and in your special which i thought was hilarious well, thanks, man. You know, you know, um, I, I always, I, I, I think you could make all kinds of uh, sports and boxing references to comedy. Yeah. Um, and I would say, I say comedy, the reason it's like boxing is because as a boxer, there's so many facets of the sport that you can improve at. So you work at the speed bag, then the heavy bag, then you work on your endurance, then you get in the ring for a few rounds, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, comedy is the same. You can work on your writing. You can work on your stage presence. You can work on your crowd work, all of that. And I think the, again, the comedy store really helped me grow as someone who, you know, when I first started there, again, I didn't have the experience of talking to an audience. So what would happen is 
I would go on stage following somebody who had just done, had a good set and I would just get into my act. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until one night, it was around 1.45, the club closes at two. I was the last act on. And there was a comedian, his name was Freddie Soto who passed away. And Freddie was one of the funniest people I've mm-hmm. ever seen. And it's a shame because Freddie was in his mid thirties and he was just starting to take off and, and he passed away. But, but he was someone I looked up to and um, he was sitting in the back of the room and I was on stage 145. And this is a room that usually can seat like 200 people. And the only audience that was an audience besides Freddie were these two nerdy looking guys. And they were sitting with this really good looking girl. Yeah. And the room is really dark. So you can't really see. I didn't really see Freddie. All I saw was two nerdy dudes, one good looking girl. I'm on stage doing my set. So they're my only audience doing my set, doing my set. And then at one point, I just think, God, you know, I'm not in the moment. So I start talking to them. I'm like, how did you two end up with her? <laughs> and it just became a, yeah, it became this conversation. They're laughing. I'm laughing. I'm trying to figure it out. They're not yeah. offended at all. They're having a good time. They're happy that I'm acknowledging them. And I just, it becomes this set. And in the middle of it, I'm, I'm working little bits I'm trying to come up with. And, and I finish and, I, and, and then the lights come up and I see Freddie was in the back. So I end up sitting next to him and he's like, hey, yeah. you're funny, man. I go, thanks. And he goes, listen, you know, in comedy, it's not about your bits. He goes, if it's just about a bit, like if you're known for a bit and that's all you got, he goes, then mm-hmm. bye-bye. You, you know, you're not going to last long. But he goes, but he goes yeah. you're either funny or you're not. And he goes, you got it. And I go, oh, thank you, man. So that really helped me understand this idea of being open to what's happening. Because, you know, mm-hmm. some people are so focused on, let me just go up and tell my jokes, tell my jokes, tell my jokes. Dishes break, doesn't even co- comment on it. You know, fire starts, doesn't even comment on it. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I have a hard time not acknowledging those things. And what happens is what you saw in the special, sometimes some of that stuff, when you acknowledge it, it becomes part of your act. So it seems like when you do it, in, in another show, it seems like you just came up with the punchline, but you actually had come up with the punchline before. So for example, there's two parts in the special where I, I mm-hmm. get into the words for uh, different ways to say balls in different languages. And the other one is how to say fart in different languages. Well, I had done that bit in different clubs around the world. And if I ran into somebody who was, let's uh-huh. say, Arab, and I would go, how do you guys say balls in Arabic and they would say whatever, uh, whatever it is, uh, buy that, buy that. And so I came up with a joke. I go, buy that. Sounds like buy that. Like, you know, buy my balls, whatever it was. I had a joke about it. So then <laughs> another time, if I would run into a show and there's an Arab in the audience and he says, buy that, I already have the punchline. Seems like I just came up with it, but I have the punchline. Ah, uh, okay. But the beauty of it is you're still open to walking on that tightrope because you might get an answer that you don't have, you know, a joke for. Right. And sometimes that answer is a gift. So in the special, as I'm going around, how do you say balls? How do you say balls? How do you say balls? All of a sudden, some lady from the back goes, sign language. I go, what? She goes, yeah, how do you say balls in sign language? I go, I, I had no, I'd never seen it before. And I go, show us. And she just goes, she goes like this, like that. Oh! <laughs> And I go, holy moly. And I tell the cameraman, I go, make sure you get that. That's how you say balls in sign language. And I go, it sounds like you're saying elephant balls, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. More like. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I was like, yeah. you're in the moment and, and you just throw it out, you know? Um, 
so yeah that, the comedy store really taught me a lot of that stuff that's really cool and i had seen you maybe it was oh it was a flappers where you were talking with some armenian guys and you were asking them what their names were and one was like carapets and you're like oh like carapet like you pointed to the carpet so yeah. it's so cool to see the the inner workings of that and hear about that too um i was going to ask you you're going to be here in tempe november 12th to the 14th and i was just thinking it's a week right after the election and i being in the moment i was going to ask do you have for your material i know that an immigrant you did have some political points and uh very astute and you were able to make them funny as well which i think is like the icing on the cake but i was going to ask have you prepared anything or have you thought about alternate endings like <sighs> avengers or uh how are you thinking about approaching it i am a little intimidated by the whole thing because the truth is the unfortunate thing that's happened is because of the pandemic we haven't been able to perform as much as we normally do Right. So whereas right. I would normally be getting on stage five to 10 times a week and really working out my jokes over and over and over and over again. So they're chiseled. That hasn't been happening. Um, mm -hmm. I've done some Zoom shows and I've come to learn quickly that Zoom shows are different than live shows in that there's some aspects of the Zoom show. For example, when you're seeing my face, I might do a funny move where I, you know, I duck out of the camera and that plays in on the screen but it doesn't play as well on a stage. So I've done a few shows now live. I did one live show that was a drive-in show at the Irvine Improv. Oh, That nice. was interesting because people were in their cars, they're listening to you on a radio station. And, um, and you can't hear the laughter as well. And it felt like mm -hmm. I'd done about 45 minutes. And I looked at my, my watch and it was about 35 minutes. I was like, oh my God, like, I thought I'd done a lot more material. Huh. And then similarly, I recently did a rooftop show in LA, outdoor social distance. And again, it felt a little bit, you know, I, cause I've got some political jokes, some Trump jokes and it feels, right. first of all, right. it's, it's crazy how divided the country's become. So the yeah. whole point I think yeah. of America is we should make fun of our leaders. I said, you know, so if I do a Trump joke, yeah. you shouldn't take it personally. So yeah. I'm sure, especially Arizona, as you know, there's red, there's blue, there's all. So, I've got a couple of Trump jokes and I think right. I'm going to try and approach them in a way of going, look, no offense to you or to anybody. This is just my opinion. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, almost give them a caveat. It's almost like giving them the surgeon general's warning on a cigarette label. <laughs> yeah. I'm about to do some Trump jokes and you might not agree. That's fine. I, we can still talk afterwards. You don't need to freak out yeah. and I'll get into some other jokes later. Just relax. And I'm going to try them. I, I definitely will try nice. them. Um, and who knows? I, God, I, I've been losing a lot of sleep over this 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 election. This feels like I actually put a tweet out the other day. I go, is, it, is this the longest week of every four years? It feels like it is because leading up to that election, you feel like, oh God, like what's going to happen? You look at those poll numbers; they get closer and closer. And it could be it could be another four years of Trump. And I don't know how you feel about that. I personally, I'm exhausted by this guy. Um, yeah. but yeah. I mean, life goes on, we wake up and we, and we go to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, just like you said, it's a long, it seems like the longest week every four years. And then most of us are at home, not doing what we usually are doing out and about. So it makes it extra long. So it, and then thinking about what's going to be the result for the next four years, it's really uh, exhausting. Like you said, yeah. Um, yeah. but today's episode is presented by state bags. 
State Bags makes beautiful, well-made, inclusively cool products while using the power of business to give back to shift the narrative around social injustice. For every State Bag purchase, State Hand delivers a backpack packed with essential tools for success to an American child in need. But their commitment goes beyond simply a material donation. State Bags has your back, and part of that commitment is making a difference in local kids' lives. To get you ready for your commute or wherever you're traveling next, State is offering my listeners 15% off their next purchase at statebags.com using the code P-O-D. That's 15% off your next purchase using the code P-O-D at statebags.com. State Bags, they have your back. Uh, Well, thank you, Moz, so much for joining me. Before we go, I just wanted to see if you could help me answer a question. This is a comedy advice podcast, so we give a little bit of advice. It's a silly question by a fan. Um, Mm -hmm. it says, I have a special gift idea for my grandparents, but I don't know if it's appropriate. So my grandparents lived in the countryside in a gorgeous thatched roof villa. They built it themselves and invested their whole life to make this place as beautiful as possible. Oh, sadly, there was a fire years ago and burned it down to its foundation and destroyed everything inside. You could really tell they're missing their home. And they've told me on multiple occasions how much they would love to visit it just one more time. So my idea My father recently found the blueprints when he was going back through some old files, and because I've picked up 3D printing as a hobby, I had the idea to recreate the house. Would it be a good idea to gift them a a model of their home that could either be considered a way to remember all the great memories or the horrible memory of losing it all? Advice? I think what you do is you go ahead and do this 3D thing. It's a great idea. I think they're going to love it. They're going to cry. Now, I think if you really want to be a baller, you find the money and you rebuild that shit. Let's see if you can do that. If you rebuild that shit, then, then it's all, that's other level shit. So I'm just giving you, you have two options. You can either go the, oh, sentimental, the thought that counts, beautiful. They'll still cry. You build that shit, you're going to be their favorite grandchild. I'll tell you that right now. You can have balls or you can go elephant balls and just recreate balls. the entire house. I like that's that. Called, that's called a callback. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, Moz, thank you so much for joining. I wanted to ask, where can people find you? What have you got going on? And uh, what have you got to plug? It's all at Maz Jobrani, M-A-Z-J-O-B-R-A-N-I. Um, you can check out my Netflix special. It's called Immigrant. It's on Netflix. You can check out my podcast. It's called Back to School yes. with Maz Jobrani. And uh, come in Arizona, come to the show. But if you're going to come to the show, don't be sensitive about Trump jokes. If you're going to be sensitive about Trump jokes, just don't come. But if you're open to laughing, come on out. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maz. I'm excited to see you there. And uh, we'll see each other soon. Great, Stephen. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.